one drop of your tender mercy, just one drop now fall on me. The sixth verse of the 21st chapter of the gospel is recorded by John says, Jesus said, throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. We want to speak from that passage and we invite your attention for just a few minutes on the subject, throw your net on the other side. Throw your net on the other side. As disciples of Jesus, we live on the other side of the resurrection. And let me assure you, the post-resurrection side is decidedly better than the pre-resurrection side. In Hebrews 11, the writer describes the pre-resurrection side this way. Not one of these patriarchs and matriarchs of faith, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. But in Hebrews 12, he describes what it means to live on the post-resurrection side. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your Souls. It reminds us, my brothers and sisters, that Jesus' resurrection makes a difference. It makes a difference in our lives. It makes a difference in the course of human history. It makes a difference with regard to our ultimate destiny. Absent the resurrection, we have no hope. Absent the resurrection, we have no joy. Yet, as we deal with the present conditions that 
confront us, this pandemic and all of the maladies associated with this pandemic. There are people who openly wonder what difference Christ's resurrection makes. Those who would ask such a question base it on external evidence. They look at all of the world's ills. They look at poverty and hunger and crime and violence and sickness and disease and bigotry. They look at all of our human shortcomings, selfishness, addictions, greed, hypocrisy, and they conclude that because these things exist in the world, then the resurrection makes no difference. But we can't measure the significance of the resurrection by what's happening on the outside. The significance of the resurrection is found in how it changes us on the inside. Because of the resurrection, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. So now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Oh, my brothers and sisters, what was true for Paul is also true for you and for me. If the resurrection is to have any meaning, if the resurrection is to make a difference in our communities, if it is to change our homes and our families, then it must begin by transforming us. The power of Christ's resurrection is not seen in the overnight transformation of governments and institutional systems. It's not seen in the immediate realignment of global, social, and economic priorities. The power of the resurrection is in its ability to change people one heart at a time. When hearts change, people are changed. When people are changed, families are changed. When families are changed, communities are changed. And when communities are changed, systems are changed. There is power in the resurrection of Jesus, but for us to experience that power, we have to be willing to let the resurrection work in our lives one heart at a time. In our text today, Peter, James, John, and several other disciples are at the Sea of Galilee. They're disturbed. They're uncertain as to what their next steps should be. They're only 10 days removed from the joyous reunion they had experienced with Jesus at his resurrection. Yet their joy had already begun to fade. And now they're faced with the dilemma of what they should do. How should they properly process all that they have experienced? So at Peter's urge, 
they've gone back to Galilee and, and they've returned to what they knew best, fishing. They spent the entire night on the water, but they had not caught anything. But at dawn, they hear a voice call to them from the shore, asking, do you have any fish? When they say no, the voice calls back to them, throw the net on the right side of the boat and see what happens. Now, I have to tell you, it doesn't make any sense for them to do this. There's no logic. There's no rationale in them doing it, but they did it anyway. And the scripture tells us that when they did what he said, all of a sudden there were so many fish that they weren't strong enough to pull it in. And when John saw what had happened, he leaned over to Peter and he said, it is the master. John recognized Jesus not only because no one else could do what was done, but because it had happened before. If you look back at Luke chapter 5, it tells us of a similar incident that took place early in Jesus' ministry on these very waters. Peter had been fishing all night and had caught nothing and he had come in and he was ready to wash his nets and go get some rest. But Jesus boldly went aboard Peter's boat and told him to push out from shore. He sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he finished teaching, he told Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Peter didn't want to do it, but he did it anyway. And when he did it, he caught so many fish that his nets began to break. And the story ends with Jesus inviting Peter and the others to follow him, saying that he would make them fishers of men. Well, in appearing to these disciples on these waters in similar fashion, Jesus is reminding Peter and the others that he's not just the God of yesterday, but he's also the God of right now. Jesus is reassuring them and us that what he did yesterday, he's still able to do today. And in fact, he'll do it better. The first time it happened, the nets began to break because the number of fish were so many. But this time, even though the catch was more than what the nets should have been able to handle, John tells us that they were able to bring in the full load without losing any. And I'm glad for that because it reminds me that every day with Jesus, is sweeter than the day before. When, when I'm faced with lack in my life, lack of love, lack of friendship, lack of support, lack of concern, lack of understanding, lack of compassion, I never need to worry because Jesus proves over and over again that he's able to give me more than enough. But for this to be so, 
We must be willing to do as Peter and the others did. We must be willing to let down our nets on the other side of our boat. There are several things to be learned from this story. First, it's important to obey Jesus. It's important to do what he says, even if it doesn't appear to make any sense. I remind you, these were expert fishermen. They had diligently searched all night long without success. They had to be asking themselves, what difference could it possibly make to put down the net on the other side of the boat? Church, can I tell you that sometimes God puts us in situations where there appears to be no answer? We've tried everything. We, we thought we knew what needed to be done, but God will ask us to do something beyond what we know. It might even seem to be foolish, but that's when you have to be willing to obey anyhow. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. In our relationship with Christ, success follows obedience, even when what he's asking us to do makes no sense. Can I tell you, you ain't smarter than Jesus? Can I tell you that he doesn't need you to try to outthink him? The best thing you can do in any circumstance is to listen and do what he says. Well, the second thing I want you to see from this passage is that we meet Jesus when we come to the end of our resources. These men had been fishing all night long. They'd done all that they knew how to do, but they had no fish. They were experts in their trade, but their expertise had not rewarded them. But it was when their resources were spent that Jesus showed up. At the point where they were ready to give up is when Jesus showed up. Oh, my brothers and sisters, when, when we've come to the end of our resources, when we're at the extremes of life, we need to know more than Jesus has power, but we need to know that he'll make that power available to us. He has the power to help us stand when we feel too weak to carry on. He has the power to help us maneuver around the stumbling blocks in our path. He has the power to help us overcome when our hearts are pained by grief and sorrow. Jesus is our provision in the extremes of life. Consider the fact that, that when these men came to the end of their resources, that's when they had a miraculous catch, a catch so great that they could hardly get it into shore. But beyond that, beyond what Jesus put in their nets, the Bible says that when they got to shore, Jesus already had breakfast waiting on them. In addition to what Jesus put in their nets, he was still making something out of nothing. Church, I'm glad that I serve a God who's still able to take nothing and make something out of it. 
when you put your little into his hands, watch what he does. He makes wine out of water. He makes fish and bread enough to feed thousands. He gives health where there was only sickness. He gives strength where there was only weakness. He gives life where there was only death. He gives hope where there was only despair. He is the God of new beginnings. And it's when we reach the end of us that we become the beginning of him. Well, there's one final thing that I want you to draw from this event, and it's the subject that we used. You have to put the net where the fish are. The point of, uh, of this event for these disciples and for us is that the answer is often closer than we think. The fish weren't on the other side of the lake. They were just on the other side of the boat. And what that tells us is that the answer to our dilemmas is often as close as our willingness to trust God and obey him. You know, the story is told in, in 2 Kings chapter 5 of a Syrian general named Naaman. Naaman was a great man, but he was suffering with leprosy, which had spread across his body. And, and Naaman wanted to be cleansed. And he heard about a prophet in Samaria named Elisha who might be able to heal him. So Naaman went to see Elisha with the expectation that Elisha would tell him that he had to do some spectacular thing, that he had to pay some spectacular price in order to be healed. But when Naaman got there, Elisha didn't even come out of his house. Elisha simply sent instruction and said, tell him to go wash in the Jordan River seven times and he would be healed. Well, the scripture says Naaman got mad. Naaman was insulted at, at what God's prophet told him to do. He, he said, I thought he would surely come out to me. Surely he would call on the name of his God. Surely he would wave his hand over my sores and heal me. And Naaman refused to do what the prophet said do. But one of the servants said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? So why not do this little thing? In other words, if he had told you to go to the other side of the lake to catch fish, wouldn't you have done it? How hard can it be to just drop your net on the other side of the boat? And the Bible says that, that when Naaman did what the Lord said do, he was healed of his leprosy. When Naaman did what the Lord said do, his net became full of fish. Oh, church, I'm trying to get you to see something today. Your answer is closer than you realize. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense to us. Sometimes we think we have to do something great in order to get the answer that we're looking for. But if we're going to catch fish, you have to put your nets out where the fish are. You have to put the nets out where Jesus tells you to. And if you do what the Lord says do,
He's going to give you so much that you're not going to have room enough to hold it all. If you do what the Lord says do, he'll make a way for you out of no way. If you do what the Lord says do, he'll dry every tear from your eyes. If you do what the Lord says do, he'll open doors for you that are closed against you. You ain't got to go across town. You ain't got to go across the country. All you got to do is be willing to put your net down on the other side of the boat. Him writer said, I came to Jesus as I was. Weary, worn, and sad. But I found in him a resting place. And my declaration today is he has made me glad. I'm glad that if I obey him, I'm glad that if I trust him, I'm glad that if I yield to him, I'm glad that if I take my little and put it in his hands, he's able to make much out of it. Don't worry about going to faraway places. Just drop your net on the other side of the boat. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that you are the God not just of yesterday and not just tomorrow, but that you're the God of right now. Right now, we confess we have needs. Right now, we confess that we are often beset by trial and tribulation, by danger, toil, and snare. And so, dear God, in this right now moment, we ask that you would give us the faith to be obedient to your word. We ask you, dear God, to reach out to you in our extreme poverty and place the little that we have in your hands and to cast our nets on the right side of the boat. Bless this word which has gone forth. May it be a help to those who have heard. And to God, if there's someone who's listening in their homes, on their jobs, wherever they may be, who does not know you in the pardon of their sin, we pray that something that has been said or done in this worship would touch their hearts and cause them to give their lives to you. We ask it only in the name of your son, Jesus. And for his sake we pray. Amen.
this next part simply says hallelujah because we say hallelujah to the risen king.